0: From the PSIA AASI Studios in Lakewood, Colorado, I'm George Thomas. You're listening to First Chair, and Leah Logal is joining us today in our Emerging Leaders series. Leah, thanks very much for joining us.
1: Thank you for having me, George. I'm stoked to be here.
0: Well, Leah, tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got, first of all, interested in snow sports.
1: Well, growing up in Florida and Texas doesn't really lend itself to uh, being involved in the snow sports industry, but uh, as a teenager, I ended up, my parents took us on a few uh, ski and ride trips, and I got hooked, and uh, after a few family vacations to the mountains as a teenager, I ended up choosing a college Mostly because it was 20 minutes away from a mountain in Flagstaff, Arizona. So that kind of really sparked my passion for the snow and the mountains. And then directly after that, I got an opportunity to come to Tahoe And learn how to be a snowboard instructor. And it was all over after that. It's been 14 years now, and I can't imagine any different direction my life would have taken.
0: I love it. Now, did you have any surf experience (laughs) growing up in Florida?
1: No, because we spent most of our time on the Gulf Coast, which, if you've ever been there, is like a giant... uh, water body full of bath water. There's not a lot of big waves. Uh, I did do some wakeboarding as a kid, but never was really a skateboarder. Didn't really have friends that did many board sports. I just, I started with skiing only a couple days. I actually skied the first time I ever slid on snow was in a basin on July 4th when we were out visiting Colorado in the middle of the summer. So, uh, that was quite the experience of falling down the mountain. And I swore I'd never ski again, which isn't true. I have skied since. And, um, then a couple years later, we went again to the mountains actually in the winter and I picked up a snowboard and loved it. <laughs> Even after, uh, fracturing my wrist on my first snowboard attempt,
0: <laughs> well, we're glad you stuck with it. <laughs> now you put yeah. up an interesting topic. I kind of want to digress just a little bit, but you know, we speak with people who grew up in snow. They've skied all their life or snowboarded all their life. Yet here you are from, uh, the Southern States, Florida, Texas, skied just a little bit, snowboarded just a little bit as you were growing up. How do you feel that affected you later on as it, it wasn't just a, big part of your life and that snowboard wasn't always attached to your feet.
1: Well, I, I think being separated from it in that way and just getting a little taste here and there was, you know, really kept me interested. I, I have come across a lot of people that have grown up in the industry and have grown up sliding on snow and being involved in snow sports and living in mountain towns. And I am just so far removed from that experience that I feel like coming to the mountains and being able to really appreciate all of it and choosing to be here, not just growing up with it has kind of shaped a different journey for me. And, you know, I, I love the summer as much as I love the winter. So, um, yeah, I'm not exactly sure what the difference is, but I think it's, I think it just lends itself to a different perspective, not growing up immersed in the industry.
0: Now, I'm assuming you went to Northern Arizona up in Flagstaff.
1: Yes, I did.
0: So you were studying, going through school. What were, what was your major?
1: Um, I bit off a really big major when I, when I uh, chose the college. It was partly because of the mountain, but they also had a good astronomy and, and physics program. And that's what I really thought I wanted to study. But it turns out uh, college calculus is a giant roadblock for my brain. So I ended up moving into psychology and ended up graduating with psychology and criminal justice.
0: And then you had the opportunity to go to Tahoe. What was that?
1: The catalyst for that was my father, actually. And I think a little of it was the living vicariously through my daughter. He actually moved to Tahoe in 1977 and spent a little time here. But um, he called me up and his college buddy had a cabin up here that he wanted was looking for someone to rent, and my dad thought, wow, you have this eight months off in between, because I graduated, I did four and a half years, so I graduated in, or was graduating in December, um, he said, well, you have eight months or nine months until you start your master's program there at NAU, so why don't you spend the winter teaching snowboarding? in Tahoe. And I was like, dad, you're crazy. I'm going to stay here and work and save up for, you know, my master's program. And I hung up the phone. And then I thought about it for a couple days. And I was like, oh my gosh, you're crazy for not going to do that. So I called him back and ended up coming out and getting a job at Heavenly. And yeah, I spent the summer in Tahoe, and there was no way I was going back. <laughs> uh, I just absolutely fell in love and couldn't imagine doing anything else.
0: Now, can you remember the season? first lesson that you taught?
1: I can, very vividly. Um, so I, my training, I went through what was called basic training at the time and it was you actually paid money and it was a four-day you paid 125 dollars, and you got four days of instruction from um ed staff members and trainers at the mountain and you so you learned how to be a snowboard instructor where well after that four-day course then they say hey we're gonna hire you or we're not so they hired me and um, then I had to go back and finish my finals and graduate college, so I missed a couple weeks of training. And then I came back, and we it was starting to get in. We were gearing up for the Christmas holiday, and I was supposed to go out and shadow a class, but instead of being able to do that, they were so short instructors, they chucked me right into the deep end with eight first timers of all different ages and athletic abilities. And at that time we had those step-in clicker, um, not K2 clickers, but they were like the Rossignol clickers with the metal bars on the side and this metal plate that had these two um, like metal receptacles that the, the bars would click into. And this poor kid was trying to do a straight glide, and he just knelt down on that plate and split his knee wide open, like hospital visit and everything. And that was the first time I taught, and I was mortified, just absolutely. like I am the worst instructor. What have I done with my life? There's no way I can keep doing this. But everybody was super supportive, and <laughs> I think now looking back, everyone realizes that 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 first time lesson is such a challenging moment and having experience is so key to being successful with those first timers. <laughs> but I think everybody has a story like that at some point in the early part of their career.
0: <laughs> so what was it that made you want to stick with it?
1: <laughs> this, <laughs> it's funny because I mean, the teaching was great. But what I really got hooked on was the training, the actual going out on the snow on off time or there's not a lesson. Let's go do a pickup clinic. uh, Let's go ride with friends. I mean, I learned so much that first season. I took every opportunity to go out and ride. If I wasn't working, I was looking for a trainer to go out and, take a group out. I was there at the back door of the ski and ride school looking for the pickup clinic. It was, you know, I was taking an extra lap at the end of the day. It just, the people I met and the education, continuing education opportunities that the training program at Heavenly offered at that time were just incredible. And that's what really hooked me was that I could progress no matter what was going on. It was progression for me. It was learning for the students that I'd eventually be in front of. And yeah, I was, it was over after that. I was hooked.
0: And then at what point did you become involved with PSI, A-ASI and feel like, you know, this is something I really want to stick with and I want to get my level one, level two, level three.
1: Well, I knew, uh, so I went, I was, you know, very, very on point with training. We had training every week. I went to every single one and we had an amazing group that year. So I got my level one my first season. Um, and I knew the next season I'd go for my level two. I was actually incidentally only working part-time cause I, I thought I wanted a career in criminal justice. So I was Trying to be a grown up and, and work a grown up job. <laughs> um, so I was only working part time my second season, but I still went for my level two and trained for my level two and um, succeeded in getting my level two. And then I went back to teaching full time the next year and sat my level three and then uh, did not pass my level three that year, but went back the next year. And that's uh, when I actually started training with my husband, Dustin. Um, and a really amazing group of candidates and we had such a fun year just training that year. It was, it was kind of a no brainer for me. I went, you know, one, two, not successful at three, successful at three. Then we have a divisional trainer's accreditation out here, sat that unsuccessfully, sat that the next year success, like it just, I banged away at every opportunity I could to progress and push myself through um, and just really the point where I got through the trainers accreditation started shadowing exams and really getting involved in PSI and ASI. I, you know, I just knew that the organization had a ton to offer and that I wanted to be a part of it.
0: And I have gotta say, I love how much you were into training At what point did you feel like, I want to be a trainer someday, and here you are a trainer now?
1: Yeah. Um, I don't know. It was kind of a no-brainer. I think it was while I was training for my level three, I had approached um, one of the managers at Heavenly, so I was just a level two, and I had run into some other level twos and even level ones through the, you know, sitting exams and training for exams um, that worked at other mountains and they were training other staff. And I felt like I really had a lot to offer in the training realm. And I approached that manager and asked and, and heavenly at that time just had such heavy hitters on the training side that they really didn't need Uh, lower-level certified people, training staff. They had a lot of really highly certified instructors and very experienced, wonderful trainers. Part of the reason why I stayed at Heavenly for so long was how amazing the training program was. And so I just didn't have the opportunity to get into training early on, but I knew as early as sitting my level two that I wanted to be involved in helping other people become better at what they do. And so really when the opportunities started presenting themselves after I got through my level three to start training at Heavenly, uh, Josh Bolstra was the training manager at that time. And I started with a level two group and, and had some help from some of my trainers, uh, through that process of running that group. But it was a super successful year and it is extremely fulfilling to watch other people achieve what their, you know, what their goals and aspirations are. So that's,
0: so Leah in talking with you, it seems like you've really been pushing the leadership role ever since you started in this profession. What was it like for you though, to be recognized as an emerging leader?
1: pretty cool, uh, thing to be reached out to. I think, I feel like I have been definitely a leader in the West for a few years, at least. Um, I am on the board of directors here out West and that has been a really cool, different kind of leadership experience for me. Um, I think just having national reach out and recognize people out in each division, and I think that's happening more and more now. Under, uh, I think Nick Heron has just been an amazing leader himself, and that's really creating a groundswell of amazing leadership in this organization all across the country and across all all eight divisions and national. It's been really cool to see what the organization is doing to highlight people and leadership and, you know, what everybody's doing out there to make our industry and specifically instruction and training better for all of our membership and every single guest that comes to the mountain.
0: Well, Leah, I really want to conclude with a question that I'm asking all of our emerging leaders And that is, what is a suggestion that you can give us the membership as instructors to make us better teachers this coming season?
1: Well, I would say reach out for information. Um, If there's something you're not getting, if there's something you need, there is amazing people everywhere across this country in this organization that are willing to reach out and help. And... I I am a huge proponent of seeking information and finding ways to grow yourself and take ownership of your development. And I think the amount of resources we have throughout the industry, throughout the organization and even outside of the organization, uh, in psychology, kinesiology, it's, there's so much opportunity. So if there's something you're not getting, if there's something that you need, reach out and find it. And there are a ton of willing people to help you out. I'm here all around. Like I will be there. If you need anything, holler at me. Every anyone can get in touch with me. So if there's someone out there that needs something, I, I would love to be able to help help you find it.
0: Well, Emerging Leader Leah Logal, thank you so much for sharing with us today on First Chair.
1: Absolutely, George. Thanks for having me and cheers to the 2018-2019 season. I'll see you guys out there.
0: From the PSIA AASI Studios in Lakewood, Colorado, I'm George Thomas.